Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. So welcome back to Financial Coaches Network podcast. Emily, what are we talking about today? We are in the at the end of a three-part series about ongoing coaching. And this is we covered we the first two was uh the first one was should I offer it? Should I offer ongoing coaching? The second question we we asked was how do I structure it and transition clients into it? And today we're going to talk about how do I continue to show value with ongoing coaching? So let's just start with that generic question. How do I continue to show value? So there's a lot of ways you can continue to show value. The easier thing to define is how not to show value or how you're, (laughs) how you know, you're not showing value. All right. Let's talk about that first. (laughs) And the typical thing that people, that the natural thing that people go to is a better way of saying it is, well, I'm going to be there for accountability. So we'll just meet and I'll keep them to their budget. Right. Yeah. That is not showing value. And now I'm not saying that there isn't any value in that, but that's not going to be something that you're going to be able to charge a reasonable fee for your time. Is that something that could maybe be a shorter meeting and not be a full hour or it could be I, I actually do that the problem with those shorter meetings is a you have to be very careful of those meetings running over yeah because when a two-hour meeting runs over by 15 minutes it's not that big of a mathematical problem when a 15 minute meeting runs over by 15 minutes you just cut your salary in half <laughs> right. Right. So it, it's really important that it, it could be for shorter meetings like that. Um, but even that by itself is probably not going to be sufficient. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no place for, we'll call it 15 minute accountability meetings. I, I think there is. It just can't be only that. Right. It, sh- it should be 15 minute com- accountability meetings combined with some other ways of showing value. Okay. So anything else with what not to do? So we don't want to just do accountability. I've got three of them. I've got three big mistakes that I see. There's probably a (laughs) hundred others, but there's three big ones that are, that are common. Right. Okay. So the second is to set yourself up as a unlicensed bad therapist (laughs) where you're going to just say, well, I'm going to be there to allow them to talk. Right. And so I'm going to come into the meeting and we're just going to whatever's on your mind, we're going to talk about. Right. Um, You number one, that's problematic for the client, but that's very problematic for you because generally people don't know what they want to talk about unless they have something specific going on in their lives. Once that specific thing is over, you've given them the ideal opportunity to exit the relationship and not on a high note. 
Right. Right. <laughs> um, so that's the second thing. Okay. Right? All right. What's number three? The third thing is uh, what I call the gym membership model. Okay. <laughs> right. Is this a, like a bad coach who's kind of no this is this is like literally a gym membership gym memberships okay. survive off of having 10,000 people as members but they can really only offer the services to 1,000 so the assumption is 9,000 people are never going to show up right um the gym membership model is the idea of well I'm charging them a fee so that I'm available to them if they have a big event that happens got it Now, oftentimes these things are kind of combined together as, well, I'm going to do 15 minute accountability meetings. Plus we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. Plus if something big happens, then we'll jump in and really talk about it. Right. Three bads do not make a good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Two, three negatives. It makes a negative, right? Yeah. Sorry. I'm a mathematician. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, so those are the, those are the three most common things that I see people talking about when they talk about ongoing coaching and that won't really work. So what, what happens eventually in that kind of relationship? Eventually they figure out before you do that they're not getting value for the money that they're spending. Yeah. And then they exit. Right. And what does that mean? Does it really matter? I mean, they're exiting on a bad note, so they're not going to be asking for referrals. They're not going to be, I mean, actually, they're not going to be giving referrals, referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and if something comes up again, they've had that negative experience, so they're probably not going to come back to you. So you, you, a lot of the growth opportunities that, you know, you have as a coaching business kind of go away in that circumstance, right? No. Um, So that's the bad thing with regard to it. yeah okay so now let's talk about the how to structure it and there there isn't really there isn't really like here is the thing that you need to do right yeah but here's the thing that you need to do <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do ongoing coaching you need to have a something that has a cyclical nature to it so if we think about our a three-month program, right? There is something ideally specific that you are accomplishing in each meeting over that three-month period. Six-month program, same thing. Nine-month program, same thing, right? Right. A 38-month program would be the same thing. It's a 38-month program because you have specific things that you've identified and those things end at the 38th month, right? Right. With ongoing if you're going to try to say, well, I'll come up with something every month from now until infinity, there's not that many topics in personal finance that you can do that with. <laughs> right? So then we have to do is we have to think about how do we do this in a cyclical nature? The most obvious cycle that there is, is the annual calendar, right? Yeah. The 12 months of the year. Doesn't mean you have to have 12 meetings, but you know, an annual calendar where it cycles every year. Depending on your niche, this may or may not be the right cycle, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, it might be different for like teachers or construction workers or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. 
But what we really see here is now we've got the ability to, just like we have a six-month program, what do we want to accomplish in those six months? Whatever that cycle is, what do we want to accomplish over that cycle? And you need to build a annual coaching calendar, right? A calendar that identifies when are we going to meet and what specific things are going to happen during those periods of time that are valuable to the client. What happens in between sessions or during the session? What happens all of the above. So what happens in the lead up to the session? What happens during the session? What happens after the session? What changes should be happening? Uh, What are the the follow-ups that happen, right? What happens in preparation for the next session? Uh, everything should be keyed around whatever that big, we'll call it theme of the session is, if you will. Right. Right. Um, but those are things that are going to be, um, that are going to be really, really important to kind of build out that calendar. It's also important to realize that the calendar, you have to think strategically about the calendar. Number one, what's important to your client is going to depend on your niche. So right. two, two people, two different niches should not have the same calendar. Yeah. It needs to be based on what's going on in their lives. Right. Like I may cover PCS season uh, right. as we're approaching the summer months. Or Which the fact that no one who's listening to this knows what the heck you're talking about is no, not highlighting the importance of uh, <laughs> having a niche. I've, well, I know. I know we have a couple of people that listen in that are military, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's something that if you're not in the military, it's not really something that's going to be um, relevant. Right. Right. But yeah. if you are, it is something that that many people would want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. The as we think about the calendar, we, we want to make sure that we're aligning those things with like like you identify with PCS, like there is a season where these decisions need to make, take place. So we need to think about how do we front run that season. Right. And so get ahead get, of it. Don't yes. just wait till it's already, you're already there. And then you yeah, can't really if help your clients. Yeah. If you're waiting until the last day of open enrollment to right. uh, help a client look at whether or not they can afford to increase the, because they want to increase their, uh, health insurance. So does that fit in their budget? Right. Um, right. Not a good timing for that. <laughs> but you don't want to be too early either. Right. Because then correct. Yeah. You, it'll be lost out in their mind by the time it happens. Yeah. It needs to be, it, we need to do it during the period of time that they're thinking about it, but right. before, well before the decision needs to be made. Right. So generally speaking, most people's open enrollment, and this is not a very good one. Uh, most coaches probably don't deal with open enrollment. <laughs> right, right. right. But, but we all know what it is, at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's do a better one. Let's do a better one. Okay. Uh, a, what to do with a tax refund meeting. Right. Right. You should do that in March or in May, right? After they've spent yeah. the money. Except that they've already spent the money. Yeah, wait until, the, wait until the tax refund's already got to them. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a meeting that you'd probably want to have in March. Because yeah. you want it to be right around tax time when they're doing their taxes. 
It needs to be late enough that we have an idea. Hopefully their taxes have been done by then. Right. <laughs> um, and then we go through and kind of figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Okay. Um, as we look at the, at, you know, taxes, that taxes are a really great season, but people don't always do their taxes at the same time. Right. That's what I was saying is it's a little more complicated for that one. So you want to catch it when they're thinking about it, but that they haven't already hopefully spent the money because some people do their taxes early and they might've already spent it by March. So let's, let's use tax refunds as an example. Okay. Okay. So if someone gets a tax refund, we need to figure out what we're going to spend it for. If someone has a big tax payment, we're going to need to figure out, do we need to start a savings account for doing that? I would be very careful if you're not qualified to give the advice of giving advice of how to fix taxes, encourage them to talk to a CPA because there may be problems that are created, right? Yeah. Um, But you do know their tax refund or their tax payment. So we can build a savings account or figure out how we want to organize that money. Right. Right. Okay. So that's our decision. So in order for you, to know the information that you need to know to give your coaching advice, what needs to have happened? Wait, say that again? In order for you yeah. to know the information that you need in order to give your coaching advice on this topic, what needs to have happened? I guess I'm not sure what the question means. Oh, sorry. The que- the, we're talking about the tax refund or the okay. tax payment. Do we need to oh, so, create a savings count or go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, they need to have at least started it. So that's your point of starting in March then? Yeah. Uh, no, that, I would say they need to have it completed. You have to, at least enough that they know whether it's going to be a refund or a payment. I, Maybe not I, perfect. Now, where, where I would go is they have it filed. Okay. Here's the reason why. Okay. If you are not an enrolled agent or a CPA, if they have not filed it yet, they are probably going to ask you for tax advice. Right. And that okay. puts you in a really awkward position. Right. Right. If they've already filed it, the taxes are done. So you're Meaning, saving. Yeah, you're saving yourself. You're saving yourself. You're pretty much potential protection. liability. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who think, oh, this is not that big of a deal, it's not that big of a liability. Merrill Lynch. Uh, you know, the big uh, JP Morgan, the big companies don't allow their advisors to do tax advice planning because it is so easy to identify errors because the IRS does it for them by auditing them. Huh. Right. Um, yeah. So if those big companies don't want to deal with it. Your small company probably should. <laughs> yeah. Right. But once the taxes are filed, you're not giving advice on the taxes anymore taxes are done, you are taking the assumption that those are correct and not making any judgments whatsoever on it. But you're taking that information and now you're making recommendations totally within your wheelhouse about, okay, how do we plan for paying this big tax payment next year, right? Build up a savings account. And then, you know, if your CPA works with you to figure out how to fix the problem, great. Now you've got extra money. We can figure out what to do with that savings account. Wonderful. Right. So it gives you even more value that you can add. Yeah. Or what are we going to spend the money on? So if that's our trigger point, 
taxes being done, taxes being filed. Then what you might want to do is in March, remind them to get their taxes done and tell them as soon as your taxes are filed, schedule a meeting. Okay. I was going to say the timing of that is it can be kind of narrow, right? If they, once their taxes are filed, if they did it electronically, they may get that refund pretty quickly. Yeah, it might take they, they might. <laughs> two weeks to seven months. Right, right. <laughs> right. They might. That's why I said might. Yeah, yeah. It can't be fast, but it can be a short time time frame there. So yeah. you definitely would want to have that expectation up front. Um, and again, yeah. goes back to what you were just saying about making sure that you have it all written and that your clients know that this is what's coming and that they know to expect that, have that meeting with you. Yeah. You start the conversations in March and then you allow the client to schedule it as soon as they've got their taxes done so that you can yeah. have a conversation in that window of time while the IRS is processing. Right. <laughs> right. And so, and so everything should be thought about this way, right? It's what's happening in the client's life. Right? Yeah. It, it's why we reorganized uh, the reports that get sent out to clients in Money Coach so that the merchant report of what companies have taken most of your money over the last 12 yeah. months, right? happens in October because that's the ideal time that uh, you're going to be talking about spending with certain merchants because most people spend most of their shopping money October, November, December. Yeah. The statistics on that are crazy. Right. <laughs> I can't remember right? the numbers, but it's, it's crazy how much we spend in those last three months. Yeah. Yeah, And so we want to, we really need to be thinking about what's happening in their lives. And then we need to have systems and processes that allow us to be able to do that. Right. Um, the IRS is wonderful because once the fact taxes are filed, we've got a piece of information we can use the, and we don't need the full tax return. So many coaches wouldn't want that liability of receiving the full tax return that has their social security numbers and everything on it. We just need to know what, what the end number was. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't, don't give me more than I need to see. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and same thing with every other type of report, you know, and it, it's, I'm talking to the audience now, cause you are, you're very well aware of this, but it's why with money coach, we built out those reports with the perspective of creating an annual calendar. Right. What types yeah. of conversations should be happening at which times of the year? And based on that, what types of reports are going to be helpful for the client to receive in preparation for those meetings? And then the language for the email that come with those reports similarly refocus everything on the coach of these are the things to think about in preparation. So the same model. Right every coach should do with whatever they use. Yeah. And to get a money coach, I was preparing for our next working group session, which we are actually going to cover this, sub this subject because it, the timing was perfect. And it kind of flowed perfectly with what we talked about last month, which is how do you offer an ongoing program? What do you deliver in each, yeah. whatever it is, however often you meet. And I looked at the reports that we send and to, to try and come up with some ideas around, and we're going to talk about it as a working group, see what other ideas mm -hmm. people have. Um, but come up with some ideas on what, what can we cover if we do it quarterly, if we do it yearly, what kind of ideas could you have? And it kind of goes back to what you were just saying about 
systems and processes. So let's say somebody doesn't have a software. Um, what kind of systems and processes could they use to help them? So they're going to need something, right? right. Even if it's okay. a very, yeah. very complex, more than just a budget and net worth statement Excel sheet, right? They're right. going to need something. Yeah. Uh, because we need something to be able to track conversations and pick up, right? There's no way that you are going to remember the conversation that you had with a client a year ago at this time, right. Right, right? To be able to pick up that conversation. So we need something to capture it. Um, and then we need something to make it very efficient to be able to put that information together. So if you don't have software, you need a very complex Excel spreadsheet. Right. And some people have that. I have both. Yeah, you do have both. Yeah. I know. So, are you going to transition or are you going to keep using both? No, well, until I have something that works, I'm going to use both. <laughs> so I have I have lots of software, right? So I have my main financial planning software. The financial planning software has some multi-decade tax planning capability built into it, but not as much as I want. So I also have separate tax planning software that I pay for. The tax planning software and so when we look at all of these softwares combined, there's still some pieces that are missing, and that's where the Excel spreadsheet comes in. So the okay. default is always the software, finding software. Right. Because Excel spreadsheets are incredibly hard to maintain and keep up to date and everything yeah. else. Right. Yeah. And if you change one, you have to change them for all your clients. Yeah. And update <laughs> everything. It's real yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, and so I try to minimize the amount that I have in Excel spreadsheets. I want to have software. It's literally just for the things that I that I can't find good software for. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I have all I have both software and Excel spreadsheets, but the goal is to minimize the Excel spreadsheets. And then what you want to think about is as you look at all of the software, you also want to think about what are the deliverables at each meeting period. That was my next right? question. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So we're on the same uh, wavelength. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so deliverables become exceptionally important. If you don't have a deliverable, you haven't really given value. Now that's not true, right? You have given value, right. but it's really Perceived. important. Yes. The perception of value and having them have something. There's a big difference as they think back on the meeting of how valuable was that meeting? when they're just thinking of the conversation that you had versus when they have something that they can reference that provides right. them with, um, that provides them with a, um, with help, right. In some way or right. another. Right. So when I do tax planning and keep in mind, I'm a financial advisor, not a financial coach. So tax planning is a right. part of what I do. It's not a part of what most financial coaches do. But when I do tax planning, um, they get a very uh, detailed analysis of last year's tax return, specific recommendations of what to do. A we do a projection of the upcoming year, and they get a a document of that projection of the upcoming year, with again specific recommendations built into it. Right. Yeah. And so those are all things that are 
that provide us with that provide the client with the ability to have something tangible that they can hold on to, to to help them with the value. So that's the next thing is you need to have deliverables. I mean, what you just described, you could really do easily with somebody's right their budget or their their cash flow analysis. You could do the same thing. Yep. Detailed analysis of their how they spent last year, recommendations for next year for budgeting. Um, or recommendations for next steps and then projection for their budget for next year? You can. Here's the problem. Uh Uh-oh, okay. (laughs) You can if you have software. Every deliverable I just described, there's software for it. The only reason why I have Excel an Excel spreadsheet is to create the deliverable, right? It's not for the purpose of doing the analysis or things, right? It helps for that, but it's, it's really to create the deliverable. If you didn't have the software, you would rely on the client essentially to give you past year information, unless you were already collecting it somehow in Excel, like you were saying. But then you'd have this massive Excel sheet of all of their transactions over the course (laughs) of the year, um, manually categorized, right? You're you're talking about a four-hour process to create a deliverable versus in the in my in the case of my software the process of working with the client during the meeting creates the tax planning deliverable right other deliverables are a click of a button in the software in the case of money coach the deliverable is emailed to you and the client with no effort right right so there's a big difference between trying to do it manually and having software Right, that is true. Software is. And hey, that's you're talking about thing, when I evaluate software, of, that's one of the big things I look at yeah. is what are the deliverables that come out of the software and how long does it take to create them? Yeah, because it's four hours a time plus say you have an hour or two hour meeting and how much are you getting paid for that? And yeah. You have to do the math on that and it probably just doesn't work out. So there's part of it, how much are you getting paid for it? The other part of it is if you're spending five hours total for every one hour meeting, that means you can have one fifth the clients. Right. Yeah. Right. You've cut your client base down by 80%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So efficiency is really important here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Do you do anything in between? So you talked a little bit about in between coaching sessions to help show value. So you talked about you do some accountability meetings. What else could you do in between to show value? Like, let's say you do quarterly yeah. or even yearly where you don't meet very often. What do you do in between? So in between is really where you want to have uh, one to many. Right. Newsletters, blogs kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as we look at the, as we look at the, uh, meeting schedule that's all personalized. All right. There are certain things that you can do. Let's go back to tax season again. Right. Everyone is going to need to gather up all of the paperwork they get in from January to February. Right. Doesn't matter who you right. are, or what your background is, what, what <laughs> yep. whether you're a business owner, right? You still have to gather paperwork during that period. So an email in mid-January, helping them prepare for that, 
is a very easy, low cost for you value add that you can send out to all of your clients. Um, the more of a focused niche you can have, the more specific that email can be to make it feel like you wrote it to them directly without you spending any extra time. Right. Right. And so as a result, you have a, um, you have a, a very nice value add that goes out to everyone. And maybe it takes you 45 minutes to do total. And so those are the ways that you'd want to do those in between value adds. Got it. Right. You also want to be very cognizant of the more often you meet, the fewer of those in-between value adds you have to do and the fewer you should do. Hmm. Um, and and the the more often that you, the less often that you meet, um, the more of those values ads you have to do. But this is not a perfect trade-off because the more often you meet, the higher your cost is going to have to be that you charge. And as a result, the higher attrition that you, sh- you can expect for it. So you, you have to realize that your meeting schedule needs to work with their lives. It also needs to work with your business profitability and the level right. of value that you can provide without destroying your time. That makes sense. Okay, so one final question here. And this one, I, can't, I might have a follow-up question to it. You okay. <laughs> don't know how you answer it. So when you transition clients, let's say you, you transition clients from monthly to quarterly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about, you know, how like money coach, how you have, we have specific um, reports that come quarterly and it makes sense to have it on a quarterly basis. Um, let's say at some point you decide you want to transition them to yearly, or maybe eventually with yearly, you eventually want to transition them out completely. Like, how okay. do you know when to transition clients? It really depends on your program and what you're trying to do, right? Right. So, you know, Emily, she's working with engaged couples, right? Once they've got their finances together as a married couple and they're operating with that new model, that becomes her trigger point. So how does she know that? Let's say she... Works with them for initial program, and then she works with them for two years, and she sees, oh, they've really got this down. Um, Does she have like a quiz or something, or does she just know? Hey, (laughs) I think you guys are So that's a really good question. So uh, there are, if you take any college course, at the top of the syllabus, there's this little section that you have never read and never cared about, and you wonder why the teacher talks about it on the first day of class. And that is the course objectives or the student learning outcomes. Right? I usually do skip over those, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, sorry, I, literally, I spent a lot of time on them, but sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> literally, when I go over the syllabus on the first day, uh, I go over the student learning outcomes, and then at the end of it, right below that is the course objectives. And I say, the course objectives are on the syllabus. You don't care about them. 
I'm not legally required to care about them. I'm only legally required to care about the student learning outcomes. So if you have insomnia one night, you can read them, but we're going to skip that section. Like no one cares, right? I only right. care about the student learning outcomes because I'm legally required to. <laughs> right. As as we look at, but at the same time, I do care about those, right? And it, and as a professor, because not from the perspective of I want the students to know them, but I want the students to know what they're expected to know from them. Huh. And so that's what you have to do yeah. is you have to create your your objectives, right? What are the outcomes, right? People, the, the clients should be able to know how to do this. The client should be able to do this. The client should be able to understand the difference between this and this, right? Right. And then you literally check those off. <laughs> Got it. Right. And once you've checked all those off, that's when you know, okay, graduating them makes a lot of sense. Right. For my coaching program, it's specifically designed for people who are drowning. So they're not psychologically ready to start doing long-term planning. And so right. it's once we get out of that drowning period and we transition over to long-term planning, right? When they're yeah. no longer so focused on today that they can't think about tomorrow. All right. When that's no longer the case. Um, and then there's some there's specific things that I'm looking for in order to be able to do that. By the way, that is not they have a three month emergency fund. Right. Right. That's like a deliverable. It's not a. Yeah. yeah. I think it kind of goes back to the question that Jeremy asked, which is, are you mm -hmm. fishing for them or teaching them how to fish? Because that's like if you're fishing for them, right? If you're if you're just doing the work for them, you're not really you're not teaching them how to take over. So by having the objectives you're you're checking and saying yes they know how to do a budget review at the end of the year yes they know how to create a budget for next year that kind of thing so you're you're yeah so i i think this idea of are you fishing for them or teaching them how to fish is kind of um there's value in that idea but it's also a very overused phrase and not <laughs> yeah. appropriate right right so if for example, so for example, um, I have a CPA. Yep. I am not going to learn how to do taxes to the level that would allow me to get rid of the CPA. And Got even right. though I kind of do know enough taxes to know my to make it pretty easy for me to learn it for myself, I'm still not going to do it. Right. 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 Uh, I have a gardener. Right. I'm not hiring my gardener to teach me how to clean up the yard so that I can do it on my own. Right. right. And I, I think oftentimes we fall back on that idea of teach them how to fish instead of fishing for them. There is a place for that. There is also a place for fishing for them. Yeah. I mean, that's like with the software, I offer bookkeeping services because some people don't want to categorize their transactions and that is okay. And so I offer that. So that's not, that's something that if people want to learn how to do that, I'm happy to teach them. But if they just, I have to have some, they're just like, I just don't want to do that. Please do it for me. And so great. I, can I offer have a that bookkeeper for my service. business. Yeah. There is no yep. way you're going to get me to do that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't want to learn how to do it. Yeah. So I think it, right. it depends on what your program has and what you're trying to teach them. So 
I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking for my own program, how, cause I'm defining mine right now too. And I'm thinking yeah. about, um, what I, I mean, cause I love the idea of continuing the yearly review, yearly review for a long time. I mean, why not have mm-hmm. that continued relationship? Um, quarterly sessions, I could see maybe phasing that out depending on, um, the client and everything, but yeah, I love the idea of having that checklist to say, you know, at some point we can transition this and you can do this on your own, but the question is, are they going to do it? And so I think that's, that's the question we need to answer. Yeah. And I I think that a lot of people really want to push clients outside of their comfort zone with the idea of, well, I learned how to do this. This made me successful. So therefore you should too. Right. Right. And that is, that is not likely to be successful long-term for many clients. Right. Yeah. Nor is it very efficient for their lives. Nor is it, nor is it likely to result in them having additional financial resources. Um, the more time they spend categorizing transactions instead of paying you to do it, the less time they spend building their skills in their yeah. career. Yeah. And I, I would challenge anyone to try to demonstrate any evidence that learning how to categorize transactions is going to improve someone's financial long-term health more than getting promotions at work. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and so we always have to, we, we want to really be careful about saying, well, I want to teach them how to do it. Yeah. There are certain things. Absolutely. We want to teach them how to do. There are other things. That's a crazy idea, right? Yeah. I, I don't right. want to learn how to butcher my own meat. Well, I was just going to say, we'll learn how to do surgery on your own. Right. Appendix. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. so, yeah, th- th- it's really important that we differentiate between the stuff that should be teaching them how to fish and the stuff that should be fishing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, categorizing transactions and providing an analysis of this is how you've spent your money over the past year. For some niches, that may be a teach them how to fish thing. For a lot of niches, that's a do it for yeah. them. Yeah. Most of them. Right. Yeah. A lot of them for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of the clients I know that I've worked with, if you let them go back, mm-hmm. if you just let them go, assuming they've learned how to fish, um, they just go back to what they did before mm-hmm. and they're, they're not managing it anymore and they don't track it anymore. So I will leave it at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I say, there, there's value in what in what Jeremy said, but we just want to be careful not yeah. to use that and apply it blindly to everything. Yeah. Well, and I think he, he even said here that he was actually he made the comment related to something else we were talking about earlier. And by the time I saw it, we were already talking about something different. So I think I lost the context on that one. Yeah, I, I think that the context was related to the tax planning stuff. Okay. Right. Yeah. And if that in that scenario, um, no, I'm absolutely not teaching them how to fish. Right. right? Yeah. They, my clients are not interested in becoming tax experts. They are not, in, they are interested in having someone identify the things that are important for them to do. Right. 
And it's something where that's, that's a good example of another reason why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, I, I can't teach my clients how to fish without them buying a bunch of software that I have. And the right. software is not cheap. Yeah. So, you know, that idea, um, you also have to think about, you know, what are they missing out on right now? If you have no software, then that's not an issue, right? Right. But the more complexities you have, tax planning is a really good example of this. Um, you cannot do tax analysis in Excel. You can't yeah. do it. Taxes are too complex. They get updated too often. Have you tried? Huh? Have you tried? <laughs> it doesn't matter whether Excel can do calculations or not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because it's garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have tried <laughs> to do very, very simple ones because I thought, oh, well, this is just a very simple yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And so therefore, I'm just going to do that very simple tax calculation in Excel. Number one, that's not very valuable to clients. So it was, it was literally just a, I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with this. I'm not going to actually show it to clients, but even with the experimentation, it took so long to update it every year Yeah, that it wasn't worth the time. And I did a lot of, uh, you know, table lookups and other things inside right. of it, but it still took a long time to update. Right. Yeah. Cause you could look up a value to do a calculation. Yeah. Yeah, it could be kind of fun, but yeah, I could see how mm. it would be frustrating if it didn't end with so much that works. By software that works correctly, right. that has a lot more complexity within it and gets yeah. updated regularly. Yeah, if somebody else is updating it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So. Yep. Well, that is all the questions I had. We're right about at thirty minutes. Do you have anything else you want to add for our overall topic conversation about ongoing coaching? Yeah. The I think that ongoing coaching can be a really, really good thing. Ongoing doesn't have to be in perpetuity forever, right? It could yep. be until we're going to do ongoing coaching until these specific objectives are met, right? Going back to Jeremy's point, there might be three things that you need to teach them how to fish. Once they've learned how to do those three things, that's when the ongoing coaching ends. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in perpetuity. It could just be an open-ended right. thing until certain things are achieved. And ongoing coaching doesn't have to be monthly. Quarterly works well, annually works well, monthly works well, right? It depends on your client's needs. It depends on what your objectives are. It depends on a, a host of different factors. Yeah. The more that you can have software to automate processes, yeah. um, the more value that you can provide without trading your time. And that means the higher dollar amount per hour of your time you can charge. Right. right. <laughs> no, we love the conversation, Jeremy. So um, oh, I, please keep the, <laughs> keep the questions and comments coming. We love having I didn't them. see, did he say something else? Oh yeah. He had a couple more comments. I didn't read the long one yet, but he said, I'm not trying to be a contrarian. <laughs> He's just offering different <laughs> perspectives, which we love. That's what we, we yeah. love to talk about different things. So, and you'll even see sometimes um, I'll ask a question that I know an answer to just because I know I want to hear Josh's answer because other people need to hear it too. But, and sometimes he surprises me. I think I know the answer and I'm wrong. So it's good. It's good to ask questions. All right. I think that's all we have. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.